today uh, called This is the Faith, and I'm looking forward to, to get into the message. I do want to um, spend a few minutes here right at the beginning talking a little bit of, uh, I guess, family business, if you will. I wanted to let you know that um, yesterday, a uh, long-time, real long-time uh, church member, uh, Ryan Spaulding, passed away. And uh, I know that, that a lot of you probably know who he is, but some of you may not know who he is. And if I were going to uh, describe uh, Ron to you, what, what I would say to you is faithful servant is, uh, is the best description of him. And uh, I remember I'd been here, excuse me, I'd been here a little over a year, and uh, um, I made Ron mad with the decision that I made. And uh, what I'll always remember about Ron uh, in that very kind of early conflict that he and I had is that first of all, he called me um, and, and told me that he disagreed with my decision, um, which is highly unusual, all right? Just, just so you know, it's highly unusual that you hear from someone directly that you irritated them, all right? Um, and so he called me and we talked about it. Um, and the other thing I'll always remember about Ryan is that never once did he stop attending here. Um, never once did he stop serving here. Never, never once did he stop contributing here. And he and I long ago worked out that disagreement. Um, it was just a thing we had different perspectives on, but faithful servant. Um, depending on how long you've been here, um, if you've ever pulled up to this place and said, man, these grounds are beautiful, you were commenting on grass that Ron mowed. Um, he had to stop doing that multiple years ago because of his health. But if you've ever received communion, even just a month ago, if you've ever received communion here, you were interacting with bread and juice that Ron prepared. Um, if you've ever commented on our building, Ron served on our property team for years. And if you ever met, this building's beautiful. You were commenting on a building that he worked on with his, his two hands. He has been, uh, and, and his wife Carol and their son Scott, just faithful, faithful servants here um, in the background, all right, where, where nobody really saw Nobody really knows, and Ron liked it that way. Um, just faithful, faithful servants. And so it just happened yesterday at, at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So there's no funeral times or anything like that. We'll post them to our social media. But as well as he has served us, I would like to see us serve him well and his family well. Uh, and so if you have a directory or you want to grab a directory on your way out and send a card, I think Carol would really appreciate that, his wife and, and his son Scott. If you want to pay attention to the social media and, and hear when the funeral is and, and show up for it, it would really mean a lot. Um, they've served here so faithfully, and we want to serve his family well. So let me pray for them, and then we'll get into this sermon, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus, and we thank you for the power of his resurrection and his grace. And I want to pray right now for Carol. And I want to pray for Scott uh, as they're, um, you know, Ron didn't just serve us. Ron, Ron served them as well. And so they're grieving and feeling that loss. And I just want to pray that your spirit of peace and comfort would be with them uh, as they're mourning. And I want, to, um, I want to thank you for your resurrection and for the hope that we have over death. Um, that's an amazing truth that we're going to actually talk about more about that next week, but that's an amazing truth that that is our faith that we believe. We're thankful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
so much of our life is performance-based. It's just kind of how uh, our, a lot of our relationships work, and it's how our uh, nation worked, and we're inundated with kind of performance-based methodology from the time that we're, we're young. And what I mean by that is this. Do the right things, and the right things will happen for you and to you. Do good things, and good things will happen uh, for you and to you. And we're just kind of taught that this is how the world works. Take, for instance, the law, all right? If you decide to leave here after church and you decide uh, to do a little drive out on the highway, you're going to hit the highway and you're immediately going to see some signs that post a speed limit, all right? And let's say it's 70 miles an hour and you're just going to know as long as I don't go above 75 miles an hour, I'm good to go and I won't get a ticket. Do the right thing and right things will happen for you at your work. At some point this year, probably in your work, you're going to get what your boss loves to tell you is a performance review, right? And they're going to sit you down and they're going to talk about your performance. And if your boss is good and fair and he's, he or she is going to give you an honest critique and you just know that if they're honest and if they're fair, if you've done good work, you're going to get a good review. And at the end of the year, you're going to get a good bonus. Family, right? Families don't always work in a performative, in a performative way, but um, families love each other unconditionally. But in every family, every single one, there are kind of performance-based conversations uh, that take place in families. Our, uh, my wife home educates our son, Sam, and uh, Sam knows, and he can just kind of tell you this if you ever want to ask him, that there's a real simple rule in our house that there isn't any screen time until school is finished for the day. Now, our love is not performance-based. We love him no matter what. Screen time, it's performance-based, right? Finish school, finish your work, and uh, you can have some screen time. Our love is not performance-based. We love him no matter what. We love his sister no matter what. Uh, but there are performance-based things. Our, our, our culture. So I would say the last several years, our culture has continued uh, to dr drift into what I would call performative identity. That if you believe the right things, if you do the right things, you are accepted by our culture. And if you don't, you might very well be canceled. All right? So we're going to be in Philippians 3. And because, listen, this is not all bad. Obviously, for our world and our uh, families to run, some things are performative. I'm not busting anyone on that. But what you need to know is that's not our faith. That's not Christianity. We've been in this series the last couple of weeks talking about what is it that makes Christianity different? What is it that makes our faith kind of unique? And uh, this series came from a friend that sent me a series of tweet, uh, tweets by uh, theologian and pastor Tim Keller, who's just brilliant. And uh, he had kind of posted these 12 things that we've narrowed down to like six or seven, uh, these 12 things that make Christianity different. And here's what he says about this issue. He says, Christianity uniquely offers a non performative identity, not constantly ebbing and flowing based on your accomplishment and conduct. And we're not used to this. So we get uncomfortable with this because we want to make Christian, we want to make our faith and we want to make our relationship with God ebb and flow based on what we do. And it's just not true faith. Here's how the apostle Paul said it, all right? Tim Keller's fine and good, but here's what Paul, the apostle says about it. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But look at this. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because uh, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for with, uh, of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. So who were these mutilators of the flesh? It almost sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? Mutilators of the flesh, right? It actually goes to a debate that was happening in the early church that involved the practice of circumcision. That way back in the Old Testament, uh, God had kind of uh, called Israel to be his people. They would be his God. They would be his people. And as a sign of that covenant, God enacted this practice called circumcision. And so Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life. He dies. He's resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. And over time, the message of Christianity eventually goes beyond the Jewish people. And it goes to Gentiles, people that aren't Jewish. And the debate immediately started, when that first started to happen, the debate started to happen about whether or not, if you were a Gentile, did you need to become Jewish? Did you need to be circumcised in order to be confident and hopeful about your relationship to God? And so the argument Paul is making here in Philippians, the argument has to do with confidence. Upon where is your confidence based? So let me build this up for you a little bit. Cards on the table. I believe that you and I were created. We were created to know God, worship God, and follow God in this life and someday in the next. That everybody has this thing inside of them that desires that. That desires God. I believe that God, when he created you, he gave you gifts and abilities and desire. And this was one of them. That he placed in you a desire to know God him. It's why when you attended church for the first time, you hadn't been uh, to, to a church in years, maybe you even made a joke, I hope the place isn't struck by lightning or something like that, but you attended for the first time in years when you heard the Bible read, or you heard the worship song sung, or you started listening to the sermon, this thing stirred inside of you. 
It's why when you saw the sunrise one morning on vacation, you were overwhelmed because you said, that is awesome. And if that's awesome, someone even more awesome had to create it. It's why when your kids were born, this spiritual thing happened inside of you and you just felt that you needed to reconnect to God or get back to church. It's this yearning of our souls for God. God placed that inside of us. Everybody has this thing deep inside of them. That also means that everybody deep inside of them asks a very, very important question. We have a yearning for God, and then the question based on that yearning is this. Are God and I okay? I desire him. I want him. He's placed that inside of me. Are he and I okay? Because what we suspect about him is that he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is big. And what we know about ourselves is that we're not. We're messed up. We've sinned. We've made mistakes. And so it begs the question, as we look up into the universe and we contemplate God, we look up and it begs the question, are we okay, God? What would it take, God, for to make us okay? And so what Paul is asking in this text is upon where does your confidence come from that you can look up to heaven, you can pray, you can worship, you can connect with God, and you can say with confidence, yes, God and I are okay. Where does that confidence come from? And Paul says many people foolishly, many people are trying to get their confidence from the flesh in their works and who they are. And he uses himself, before he met Jesus, he uses himself as an example, and he points, first of all, to his background. He talks about how he was circumcised. He talks about his family and his nation that he was born into. And I think that sometimes, when faith spans generations, it's easy to kind of lean on your family background for your confidence. That's easy to say, man, are you and God okay? Or God, are you and I okay? And like, well, my parents and my grandparents and their grandparents, and they've all gone to church. And we start to derive our confidence from that. That my family's been going to that church for 50 years. My parents attend every week. My grandparents were faithful servants. And that's great for your parents and grandparents. But the question remains, God, are you and I okay? God, are you and I okay? Not, God, are are my parents and you okay? God, are you and I okay? Am I confident in my relationship with you? So Paul points to his background. He points to his zeal. He goes into this uh, spiritual and political job that he had as a church persecutor, that early on in Christianity, the Jesus way Christianity was seen as a threat to Judaism. and And so the early church Christianity ended up being persecuted. And it was spiritual, but it was also very political. And I think today, in our era, in our culture, we can relate to this. Because I think a lot of people uh, are confident in their righteousness, and they're confident before God based on their political positions. God, are you and I okay? Well, I believe this about that. Does that count? Or I have this political view. I'm a part of this political party. Is that where our confidence should come from? And lastly, his righteousness. That Paul felt that he had obeyed the law faultlessly. And let me say, when Paul's talking about obeying it faultlessly, he does not mean that you could go through the Old Testament and Paul obeyed every command of the Old Testament faultlessly. Paul will say in other occasions, he knows he didn't do that. When he says, I obeyed faultlessly, he's talking about that in every family, in every culture, uh, in every relationship, there is kind of an unspoken definition of what it looks like to be righteous. What it looks like to be a good person 
what it looks like to play that game. And Paul is talking here about, I did that perfectly. Every culture has some real goofy definitions of what it looks, to be, looks like to be righteous. Our culture is no different. Right? We have paradigms and beliefs. About, this is what it means to be right. This is what it means to be good. And some of those are just plain goofy, just like they were in Paul's uh, day. But his righteousness is coming. He, he says there was a time in his life where his sense of confidence came from, I'm a good person. I played the game well. I'm following the rules. And this is how Paul was raised. This is how he prospered as an adult. And this is what Paul built his career on. Performance-based faith. And a lot of people still base their sense of confidence and righteousness before God on that. That I am confident because I'm a good person. I'm confident because I follow the rules. I'm confident because of my political persuasions. I'm confident because of my family background. I'm confident because of me. You just need to know that's not what Jesus came to build. That's not, that's not the faith. Why? Because he loves you. And there are problems that come with performance-based faith in me and what I do. There's problems. One problem is uncertainty. Right? When you consider the holiness and righteousness of God, and you consider him in all of his splendor, what could he accept from little old me as an offering of righteousness that would make us good? And so it's always like, have I been good enough? Have I done enough? Have I given enough? Have I served enough? Have I done enough? It leads to uncertainty. And some people, it leads to despair. That they see the list of rules and they see the list of what they need to do and they have this thought of, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can fulfill that obligation. And, and uh, they, they begin to despair. And I think people misunderstood this about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached this sermon one time where he said, you've heard that it was said long ago, do not murder, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, do not be angry and do not lust. And people despaired. And Jesus like, no, my intention was not that you would despair. My intention is that you would see your need for a savior and you would go to Jesus for your identity and for your forgiveness and for your grace. So it leads to despair in some it leads to pride in others. Pride is a self-delusion. Pride compares itself to others, not to Jesus, and it says, well, I'm better than them. I'm more righteous than them. They're worse than me, and it creates this spiritual pride. Jesus saw this in the Pharisees one time, and he said, you know what's true about you Pharisees? He said, you are like a cup that on the outside is clean, but on the inside it's full of, kind of really nasty stuff, right? You ever see that? Where you see a cup in the sink, you're like, oh, that must be clean. And you go to grab it and it's like got coffee in it. You know, like, oh, you know, that coffee's been in there for a while, right? Um, so, so he says, he compares them to that. He also compares them to whitewashed tombs. Really pretty on the outside, but on the inside full of dead men's bones. Pride is a self-delusion. That if I look nice, act nice, and put on a show, then I must be righteous. So I want to reread. Paul says there's something better than this. There's something better than performative identity. And here's what I want to reread this one little section of what Paul says. Whatever were gains, I now, considered lo I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, performative-based identity, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, in, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. See, it's really not true what I've been saying. I've been saying that Christianity is a non-performance-based faith that's, that's not true. It's not based on my performance. Faith is built on his, on Jesus. Our performance-based identity is on the performance of Christ. His perfect life, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, and our confidence to stand before God in this life and the next. Our confidence, Paul says, comes through faith in Jesus. It comes through his performance, his identity, his grace, his forgiveness. Confidence comes through Christ. Paul says, I look back and I see all the things I was doing to have confidence before God and, and all the works and all, all of the family history and all of the cultural rules and all of the zeal. I look back on that and he says, it's rubbish. It's garbage. The real word here, I, it's a fireball offense for me to say the real word here. I'd finish this sermon and the elders would say, we need to have a quick meeting after. You don't work here anymore, right? This is a strong word. Rubbish, garbage, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Paul says righteousness comes through faith. This is a positional righteousness that through faith, the work of Jesus, all of our confidence comes from him. So the work of Jesus is gifted to me through faith. His life becomes my life. His righteousness becomes my righteousness. His resurrection becomes my resurrection. And this is where my confidence comes before God. My confidence to pray. Have you ever wondered about where we get our confidence to pray? To stand before God and tell him what we desire? My confidence to pray comes from this. My confidence to worship. My confidence to die and stand before him. My confidence comes from Christ. Because he declares it so, it is the great transition that, uh, transaction that we talk about all the time, that on the cross, I give him all of my sin, and he gives me all of his righteousness so I can have confidence before God because I am forgiven and freed uh, and have received grace. So righteousness comes through faith. Power comes through faith. Because you might wonder, I have read a lot of the Bible, Steve, and it talks an awful lot about doing. It does. Doing will follow knowing. It's when you know how to swim that you participate in swimming, right? right? You would never want your, your kids to start trying to jump into the deep water without knowing how to swim. It's when you know how to drive that you start driving. It's when you know that you do. And faith is the same way. It's when we know Christ that we have the desire to be like Christ, and it's when we put our faith in Christ that we receive the power of his Holy Spirit to actually do it. So obedience is huge in Christianity. Not so that you'll be saved. Not so that you can have confidence before God. That comes through faith and grace. Obedience is huge in Christianity, not so that you'll be saved, but because you are. 
We can't follow the life of Christ. We can't live like him. We can't be obedient, obedient to the law without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us and convicting us and making us new. We absolutely need faith to be able to do any of it. We cannot live the life he has called us to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is our, this is our faith. It's a non-performative identity. Our confidence is not in a faith in ourselves. Our, our confidence is in our faith in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our joy is in Christ. Our resurrection is in Christ. Everything is in Christ and the power of knowing him. And there's a lot of ways you could apply this. I want to show you one. All right? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. And then I'll explain it a little bit. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And, each and at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So let me kind of give you the background of this text real quick. As I mentioned before, before Paul was an apostle, church planter, preacher, pastor, all of the stuff that Paul was, before that, he was a church persecutor. And one day, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and Paul knew Christ in that moment, supernaturally knew Christ, and he crossed the line of faith. Well, you might imagine, and if you imagine this, you would be correct, you might imagine that this was very hard for the early church to accept. And so Paul was showing up to churches. There's like somebody in the background, back row, that sees Paul get up to preach. It's like, he killed my sister. He killed my dad. He had my cousin imprisoned. And Paul was showing up to the community of Christians, uh, having been converted. But people are still like, no, no, I remember the old Paul. Paul persecuted my family. He locked us up. He mistreated it. And they were refusing to accept Paul's conversion. So they were refusing to, to accept Paul as an apostle. They're like, why should I listen to this dude preach? Why should I listen to this guy tell me the way to live? Why should I listen to this guy about anything? He's hurt my family. Why should I listen to him? And Paul had two arguments for that. He says, listen, you need to know Christ died for those sins. And I have accepted Christ. Christ died for those sins. And then at the end of the day, he says, Christ will judge me. I care very little, he says, if I am judged by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. He said, I know that Christ someday will judge me. And Paul was confident in that because of the gospel. He said, someday I'm going to stand before God, and what God is going to see is not what you're saying about me. Paul is not going to, God is not going to see Paul the church persecutor. He's not going to see Paul the abuser. He's not going to see Paul the imprisoner. What he's going to see is the forgiven Paul. He's going to see the righteousness of Christ in Paul. And so this is the background of this text. Paul's showing up and people are talking about whether or not he should even be allowed to have a microphone. Whether or not he should be allowed to open God's word. 
whether or not he should be allowed to be considered an apostle. And it was a great debate. And what ends up happening to Paul is they end up using his greatest regret to define him. They didn't allow the gospel to define him. They didn't allow Christ to define him. They allowed Paul's greatest regret to define him. And some of you know how that feels. You have been identified by a lot of people around you by your sin. And they make it your identity. He's just fill in the blank. She's just fill in the blank. And some of you maybe don't have outsiders doing that. Some of you are doing it to yourself. And you have this internal tape that condemns you. This is why Paul says, I don't, because of the gospel, I don't even judge myself. I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that God is ultimately the judge, that someday God will judge me, but he will judge me in light of the gospel. But here's what I want you guys to hear. Just like it was true for Paul, it's true for you. What people identify you as, that's not your identity. It might be your sin. It might be your struggle. It's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ, if you've accepted him, who loves you and died for you and resurrected for you and calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. That's because of the gospel. What is true for Paul is true for you. Because of the gospel of grace, that's what's true of you. You are a son or daughter of God. And you might have this tape going in your head. You might have other people that regurgitate all these things. You're just whatever it is. It's not true. Christ died for that sin. He resurrected from that sin. And, and because of him, you get to now be his son. You get to be his daughter. And so if everything I've said is true, Paul makes the argument we should get out of the judging game altogether. And listen, I want to define what that means. If you have followed Paul, you know that Paul has some opinions, right? So, so he's not saying don't have opinions. Paul had a lot of them. He, he's not saying don't share the truth. He's saying don't do to others what have been done to you. Don't identify people by their sin when Christ died for that sin. Don't identify people by their sin when Christ died died for that sin. Don't identify people based on their performance about how good they are or how bad they are or what kind of person they are when the only performance that really matters is the performance of Christ on the cross. See, here's what happens. Is the temptation when you look at those outside of Christ, maybe those in culture, the temptation is to argue every individual sin. And I get that. Sometimes Paul mentions an individual sin. But the temptation is, I've got to argue for the truthfulness that this is a sin, or I've got to argue uh, against this sin. And the truth is, the game changer is pointing people to Christ and trusting Christ's transforming grace. This was Paul's story. Paul's story is that he was church persecutor, imprisoning, uh, oversaw the death of at least Stephen. We know, we know probably others as well, uh, probably a lot of others, that, that Paul was just kind of a church persecutor. He oversaw a lot of that. And everything changed for Paul when he got in a room with Jesus. Everything changed for Paul when he got around Jesus. And I think, as opposed to arguing about sin... All right? Not that there's anything specifically wrong with it, but more than arguing about sin, 
is pointing people to Christ. Because when you point people to Christ, he will, through his Holy Spirit, convict you. He will draw you close. He will love you. He will discipline you. He will do his good work in you. We need to trust his transforming grace. For Paul, knowing Christ was everything. Knowing Christ was everything. His identity, his salvation, his joy, hope, and peace was all about knowing Christ. And I hope we're the same way. That our identity is not in our sin. Our, the way we identify others is not in their sin, I hope. Because of the gospel, our identity is in Christ. And we get to be sons and daughters of, him, of his because of grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for his grace. And I want to pray right now that we would have our identity and our confidence not in what we do and how righteous we are, but we would have our confidence in you and in, our, in, and in your grace and that that would transfer to other people. That our confidence in them would be because of you. Because we know you can change them, make them new, draw them close to yourself, and we're grateful for that. So right now, as we get ready to receive communion, we just want to have our confidence in you, knowing that we are forgiven because of the cross, and we are empowered because of the resurrection, and that our sins are forgiven, but we can also overcome them because of your grace. It's all grace. And so may our confidence be in you right now. And as we leave this place, may we be a grace people that doesn't see sin as the thing we need to argue against, but we see Jesus as the thing we need to argue for. Because something happens when people get in a room with you, Jesus. They are convicted, they are changed, they are made new. And so we want to point people to you and allow you to do your work. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to receive communion together. And let's just have our confidence right now in Christ. Let's know him. Let's know the power of his resurrection, the power of his grace. And our servers are going to pass it out here in a minute. You can just kind of hold on to it and renew your confidence in Christ. Ask God to help you to be confident in Christ when it comes to other people. Because sometimes it's like, I'm confident in Christ when it comes to me. But, you know... I've got to be your Holy Spirit. I've got to be your Savior. I've got to make things happen for you. Now, we want to be confident about Christ in them as well, that if we can just point them to Jesus, he will do his good work in them. Um, so let's renew our confidence in Christ. Uh, and then I, just hold on to the emblems, the two cups, and I'll come back up here in just a minute, and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. He really did come so that you could have confidence. You didn't have to wonder. You didn't have to live in fear. He came so you could have confidence. Not in you, not in me. Right? I don't want to be confident in me. I, I know me. I've met me. Right? I want to be confidence, confident in Christ and in his grace and in his power and in his resurrection. So we're going to sing one last song. Go ahead and stand up and um, please be um, watching our uh, social media account, and we will we'll post about Ron's service, and I'd, I'd love to have you guys uh, come out for that. There'll be more details to follow. Uh, God bless you guys. Let's close with the last song.